What are some effective ways that I can lead people to faith in Christ? Find out next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there. I'm so glad you've taken some time to listen and check out the Monday Christian Podcast again. And if you haven't already, go over to iTunes and hit the subscribe button. And by doing that, you'll make sure that you receive every episode. I know whenever I don't subscribe to a podcast, I'm a lot less likely to listen to it consistently. So just go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And what that does is every time a new podcast comes out on Monday, then it automatically shows up in your podcast app. So I would just really appreciate it if you'd take some time to do that. Oh, hey, we're getting into the summer months. And I don't know where you're living right now, but in Toronto, we have had an incredible amount of rain. And it's actually record levels. A Toronto Island, which is a big tourist attraction this time of year, is flooded. And the, the water in Lake Ontario is actually at a record level. It's never been this high before. And I was saying to my wife the other day, man, it feels like it's been raining nonstop. And it's because... It, Pretty much has been. It's, it's, we've never had rain like this before. So I don't know where you're going through. Maybe you need some encouragement today through the rainy seasons of your life. I don't know. But on this podcast, it's going to be very practical today. And we're dealing with this question, how do I reach people and lead people to faith in Christ? It's a very pa- practical question. And on this podcast, I have my friend Ed Awe. Ed and his wife, Rachel, they have kind of three main thrusts in their ministry activities and what they do. Ed is a trainer. He's a coach of church planners and pastors, particularly overseas as well. And he helps to raise up new leaders, reproduce churches. And then the result of this is that lives and communities are transformed. And one of the things I really like about what Ed does is he teaches local pastors how to uh, tent make, as the Apostle Paul would do. So he'd earn an income on the side, and then um, he'd help to support the local congregation that he was a part of. So they do that, um, but then they are all about raising up leaders or disciple makers who disciple other people. So there's this continuing thread that happens. I don't know where you're at right today, but let me just ask you this question. When was the last time you led someone to faith in Christ? That's a, sometimes that can be a guilt-riding question, and I don't mean it that way, but I want this podcast to really challenge us today and to encourage us to go that extra mile or the extra kilometer wherever you're living to reach those who are in our local communities, among our friends, our family members. Because after all, the gospel message that we have, it's so, so important. So, without any further commenting on my part, let's go ahead and jump right into this podcast. I'm privileged to have my friend Ed Ah on our podcast today. 
And Ed, it's been a couple of years since we connected, but wow, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. It has been a few years. Well, and for those of you that don't know, um, Ed and I connected back about uh, three and a half years ago, something like that, just mm-hmm. before my wife and I moved up to Toronto, Ontario to launch Discovery Point Church. And I've just got to say, we met at a little little seminar in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the stuff that you're going to hear Ed share on this call today um, really impacted my life. And to be honest, it really helped when my wife and I planted this church up here in Toronto. And so I just are excited to be able to give you, the audience, just kind of a, a look at some of what um, um, Ed's going to share today that has really made an impact on my life. So, Ed, I'm just going to jump right into this and okay. tell us a little bit about your background. H- how did you come to faith in Christ? Um, yeah, thanks for that. The uh, I grew up in a Christian family. It was actually a little bit interesting. My dad... Uh, in Malaysia, the generation of believers in his family, uh, my mother from Singapore grew up in a Buddhist uh, family, was the first believer, um, you know, was persecuted for her faith, uh, but remained faithful to the Lord. And now, by God's grace, all of her brothers and sisters are believers. Um, both my parents lived through Japanese occupation in World War II, uh, so that also wow. really affected them. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, and so, I grew up. In, in the in the church, um, you know, knowing all that. In fact, I was I was the the the, the kid that was on the straight and narrow uh, in the sense that, you know, I was the youth group leader. I memorized all the things. You know, this good kid, um, and then. You know, took a left turn from Jesus when I went to college. And if you looked at my life just in college, you would have said, oh, man, he's going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, really was going the way of the world, you know, trying to make a million bucks. I remember I had uh, in my little jalopy Nissan 1987 car, I had a picture of a cherry red, you know, ZR1 Corvette. And that's what I was going to have and, you know, make a million bucks and all this <laughs> type of stuff. And really just focused on that. And whenever so- um, someone says jalopy, I- I'm just trying to think, I- do they, do- are those still a thing today at all? I- I- whenever someone says jalopy, that's just like feels like from a different time frame. That, that that totally dates me, you know. I was just looking at some of these things. You know, your old when, you know, and it showed like an eight track tape, and nobody has a clue what that is anymore. I actually know what that is. <laughs> so, but uh, by God's grace, in 1993, um, he he brought me back to himself in a um, in a in a more charismatic church. So I, I say I'm a Baptocostal. You know, came to faith in a in a real conservative Baptist church. Came back in more of a Pentecostal, charismatic, and so, you know, had the whole range there. So and, you got and, the best and, of both worlds. That's right, and and the worst of both worlds too. You know, so I guess that's where I have a little bit of balance. Maybe I don't right, know. Right. <laughs> well, and, and that's a great point. Just I just to, not to cut you off here, but that is a great point that learning from different traditions. That, that sometimes, like you said, it can have a negative effect, but also, man, that can also have a real positive effect, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I like to say, you know, uh, God gives us what I call tension in the Bible. You know, we, we, we think we got it all figured out, and then, you know, something pops up, and it's like, oh, man, what does that mean? How does, what does that look right. like? It, and, and hopefully it drives us, you know, this tension that he gives us drives us back to himself uh, that we, we haven't figured it out and we won't figure it out this side of heaven, 
And, uh, you know, that really, uh, I think, helps us reach across the aisle, reach across denominations to say, hey, you know, there, there are people who really love and obey Jesus in that denomination and that denomination. And they're bad things, but they're also really good things we can learn from one another. So, Just curious, what do you think pulled you away from Christ? You talked about going into, into college. Anything in particular? Yeah, you know, as I analyze that, I, I really think it's because I was second fiddle. You know, the faith, my relationship was with Jesus wasn't my relationship, you know. Uh, it, it was through my parents. I was the good, you know, the good son that, that did what his parents wanted. But I, I really, there wasn't true discipleship. And I, that's one of the things we're going to talk about, you know, in terms of evangelism. But discipleship, you know, our job isn't to evangelize the world, is to make disciples, um, and, and, and I really wasn't discipled in my faith. Um, you know, the, the, uh, so often discipleship nowadays is, you know, go through a book, throw somebody a book or go through a book study. And, and then when they're done, you've been discipled. Well, that's not biblical discipleship. And uh, that's lacking in so much of Christendom nowadays, what true biblical discipleship is. And, I, and discipleship is really, you know, putting somebody's hand, taking somebody by the hand, walking with them, putting their hand into the hand of Jesus. That's, and, that's and I great. Think, you know, that's what was really missing for me, you know. Uh, and I don't blame my parents. I don't blame, you know, the church or anything. It's just— um, as my wife says, water culture is like water to a fish. A fish doesn't know it's there. It just knows this is the way it is. And so in so many churches, for so many believers, discipleship is, you know, bringing your kids, bringing your friends to a church on Sunday, going to Sunday school, and then that's it. <laughs> you know, that's all there is to discipleship, yeah. um, which, which we know it's not, right, uh, from, from, from the biblical perspective, but that's what we grew up in, right, that water to a fish. You know, it's um, so interesting you're mentioning this right now, because actually, um, we're uh, the mother church that helped to plan us up here in Toronto, they're in Virginia, but the senior pastor down there and myself right now are speaking through a series on discipleship on Sunday morning. So I, that's just made the connection in my mind right now. And you're right. Um, at one of the points that we made in the opening weeks was that people have far too much information and... and um, well, there, as one person wrote, um, sometimes we're, Christians have the guilty habit of being educated way above their level of obedience. Yep, that's a great way to put it. That's absolutely right. You know, and 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 we in the West, I mean, this is a cultural thing. Is you know, we are so knowledge centric. You know, in in the West, we're information hogs. That we think that that there's this implicit belief that if we give people just enough information or the right information, that that'll cause them to, you know, follow Jesus, you know, more strongly and all that. And 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 it was never information. You know, Christ never called for information. You know, uh, in in that sense. Don't get me wrong. You know, right. yes, a little bit of information, lots and lots of obedience. Right. Uh, him always saying, making it very clear: if you love me, you will obey my commands. Um, you know, clarity of scripture and discipleship. So I'm just curious. I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Who who had a big impact on your life? Um, did, was there someone who really modeled this well for you when you were going through those turbulent years? Um, during the turbulent years, I, I wouldn't say uh, there there was. I, I would say that uh, when I did come back to Christ in you know the 1993-94 time frame. Um, I went to a church that had a really, really vibrant home group ministry. 
And as you know, I'm involved in house church planting around the world. That was the precursor God was giving me, you know, in this vibrant home group ministry to to, to do what I do now, uh, which is, you know, um, do house church planting, coaching. I'm blessed to coach people around the world now, but it really started there. And, and what was amazing about this church was, I mean, the, the, the first day I walked in, I was literally mobbed. Not by the pastor, not by staff, but by people in home group saying, wow, hey, you're a new guy. That's great. You know, we want to invite you to our home group. We want to take you out to lunch. I mean, they really, yeah, you know, however they did it, they managed to get, you know, the home group leaders specifically, but then the home group members in general to say, anybody who's new who walks into this church, we need, you guys need to be out there. You need to be able to identify them, pull them in. And, 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 I, and, and I remember, this was down in the Silicon Valley, there were just, you know, we'd meet on a Tuesday night like at 6, we'd have dinner together, this was a, a men's home group, there were a bunch of us who were, you know, uh, single guys, and then there were some that were married, older married, and we would start at 6, and sometimes we wouldn't leave until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And the love flowed. I mean, just that intergenerational thing. You know, one of the older men I remember uh, sharing just from his heart, you know, uh, giving us the warning, don't ever commit adultery. Because he had. And his wife had stuck with him, but he just went through all the pain that it caused and the suffering and all that, you know, and and and. That was amazing. And and, and we grew like crazy because of, of, of the love that was well, that was that stuck, in the group. And then that stuck with you even even to this day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can I can remember it so clearly, you know, and and and, and that really was the basis for for what home groups or whatever you call it, home groups, house churches, cell churches, whatever. Um, of what it has to be. Love has to be so strong, but that love isn't just this hunky-dory, we just hug one another, you know, um, but it's really love that calls us to obedience to Jesus Christ. So Silicon Valley, 90s, you, you weren't with, uh, in a group with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Yeah, no, not me. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't run with them. Oh, just had to check. <laughs> you never I, know. I worked in their companies. <laughs> well, tell, tell us, you know, you've alluded to this a little bit already. Talk about what you do today, specifically with, with discipleship. Give us the rundown for someone who's sure. never heard of you. Yeah, and, and this, you know, this, this was part of our journey. So we had this uh, foundational... Um, uh, home groups that then the Lord through, you know, a series of events led us to a gentleman by the name of George Patterson, uh, who is considered the father uh, the of modern day church planting, you know, house church planting specifically. And he was the one, you know, you talk about discipleship. He really was the one who, who, who discipled me so much. He, he taught me what that meant, what it looked like. He, he walked me through things. And so, I met him in 1998. We're still friends, co-laborers. He would, he would, I would say he is my Paul in the Paul Timothy relationship. Right. Uh, he has, he has said, "I'm not his Timothy, but I'm his Barnabas." Um, I, that that is that uh, you know, and so we've grown, and and so um, that's the impact that he's had on my life. And in terms of discipleship, I think that was the question, right? Could you say just specifically the question again? Yeah, just basically share basically what you do right now with discipleship. What does that look like? Because 
Yeah. So uh, in, in discipleship, really, the, the the basis of discipleship is love and obey Jesus. And, and, and my key passage that I always go back to, and I've read, I don't know how many times I read it, Luke chapter 10, 1 to 28. You know, and, and that's the one that people say is for church planting, but it, it actually has more than that. Because when we, we when we look at the end, verse 28, Jesus tells the guy, do this and you will live. Well, that begs the question, do what? Okay. And so we go back a couple of verses and it's a lawyer and lawyers really know how to ask questions, right? That's why they get paid the big bucks, even nowadays. And right. the lawyer asked Jesus the question, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow. I mean, that's that's the key question, right? What must I do to have eternal life? And, 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 and basically, you know, the answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. Well, what does that mean to love God and that love neighbor? That means to love and obey, right? Because you, you don't just, you know, uh, love is never isolated from action, right? That, that is not love. Love always has action. So that's love and obey. Um, then if that's the goal, we go back to the beginning, Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says the very first two words basically are do, uh, now after this, the first three words, then Jesus issued some commands. But now after this, what was that? Well, you go into chapter 9, starting about verse uh, 52, and it talks about three times mentioned, follow me, follow me, follow me. So Jesus is saying, well, um, you need to follow me. And what does following Jesus mean? Uh, it, what is that? That's loving and obeying him, right? Because all throughout the New Testament, he ta- he always says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You are my friends if you obey my commands. So it's always love and obey. So at the end, right, eternal life, love and obey. At the beginning, love and obey. What's everything in the middle? The working out of loving obedience. And <clears throat> And, and and that's just, you know, in, as far as the scope of what discipleship is about is to help people to love and obey Jesus and then them helping others to do the same, right? So that's where we get to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the, the Great Commission, right? We're all familiar with them, right? You know, um, going to all the nations, baptizing them, name the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything which I've commanded you. And, and, and it's amazing, Ezra, the number of people that I've run into, you know, uh, whether they're seminary chains, pastors, elders, whatever, that they miss those two critical words, to obey. They quote the whole thing, you know, the whole thing goes through, but it's like, you know, teaching them everything I've commanded you. Think about that, that phrase, teaching them to obey everything teaching them to obey everything I've commanded versus teaching them everything I've commanded. <laughs> A slight difference. Yeah, but it's the world of difference. And, 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 and we like, you know, our humanness likes teaching them everything I have commanded, right? Because that's a cerebral exercise. That doesn't necessarily call us to do anything other than to have head knowledge. Why do you think that is? Why, why is there that push to just give people information? Because I know exactly what you're talking about, and I, I bet we're talking specifically to what I call Monday Christians, people that are just in a living Christ wherever they're at, in their workplace, in their home, mm-hmm. in their friends and family members. Why is that often the push just to give people information? Um, there are a couple of things. Is One, 
from a human standpoint, information is easy to control, right? I, I can accept it or not accept it. I can know it, but it doesn't necessarily change anything. So there's no risk in having more information. Uh, we're information hogs. Uh, another component on the spiritual side, because we are in the war, in a war, um, not against flesh and blood, but having physical ramifications, the devil doesn't want to have people who are warriors, right? And we know Matthew 7, 24 to 27, the story of the two houses, the difference between the strong house and the weak house was not knowledge, it was obedience. Verse 24 says, those who hear these words of mine, verse 26 says exactly the same thing. Those who hear these words of mine, that's knowledge, right? We've heard the words, but it's the next part. 24, those who hear these words of mine and obey are like the strong house. 26, those who hear these words of mine and do not obey are like the weak house. And so the devil is involved also to say, hey, just push knowledge out, push knowledge out, you know, and, and even Jesus, you know, in his day and age, he scolded the Pharisees and Sadducees saying, you search the scriptures thinking they hold the keys to eternal life, but they point to me, you see. Um, and, and, and it's been the great battles ever since, you know, um, Jesus, uh, ever since the fall is between knowledge and obedience. And and there is a part of both have to be there. You have to know something to obey. Right? But here here's where the devil gets us is if you have a not, lot of knowledge about something, that doesn't mean that you will obey, that you will necessarily love. For instance, you know, we're doing a podcast right now and you know all sorts of things about podcasting. Just because you do that doesn't mean that you're driven to obey everything that podcasting tells you to do. Right. Right. But on the flip side, if, if, if you if, 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 it, if I did, I'd probably be in a lot better shape than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But see, on the flip side, if we really love someone, like I really love my wife, I'm driven because of that love to know her, to understand her feelings, her emotions, those types of things. And so, if we truly love Jesus, guess what? That will drive the knowledge which we get from the Bible. It doesn't work both ways. It's not a two-way street. That's, and so that's huge. Uh, Love first, then then the knowledge. Yeah, and 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 it builds. We have to realize, right? If he says, "If you love me, obey my commands." So, part of that simple discipleship is first, we have to know what are the commands. Right? Okay, I love Jesus, but if I don't know what to obey, I'm sort of like the the guy who wants to to lift weights but have no weights to lift. I don't know right. what there is. Right. And so that that's where, uh, as you've seen, you know, um, some really wise men came up with seven general categories of of commands. Um, you know, there are over 113 commands in the New Testament, either issued by Jesus or the apostles, but they categorized it down to these seven general. And I'll just say them real fast. Um, uh, the first one is repent, believe the good news, receive the Holy Spirit. It's actually three in one. The second one, baptize. Number three, uh, Lord's Supper. Number four is the love commands, which is love God, love neighbors, love enemies, love believers. The fifth one is pray in the name of Jesus. Number six is give generously. And number seven is make disciples. See, those seven are fairly easy to remember. We even have songs for it. We have hand motions, all those. But it's to take each one of those commands and say, you know, repent. 
um, ask the question in basic discipleship, what does a brand new believer know and do in repent? So maybe it means to turn my life around and walk with Jesus. Well, what does that look like? And then give them something to do because that's how we get strong is the obedience is building the muscles. Okay, we did that. Now, one of the key things here, Ezra, and and, and why I, I believe these general commands are so powerful in discipleship is they don't stop, right? So we, we have what a new believer knows and does for repent. We also have, we can think through, what does a mature believer know and do for that for that uh, particular command, right? So it becomes this spectrum of maturity in Christ that we can say, oh, you know, and here's a real practical one, right? Number six is give generously. So let me give you the example. Brand new believer, what do they, what do they know and do? They, they know, okay, I need to give to Jesus uh, my first fruit. So they give a buck, they give a dollar. Are we happy with that? Brand new believer, Baby believer. Yeah, we're, we're happy with that. We're jumping them down. That's awesome. That's great. Keep going. Keep going. But if that same believer has claimed to walk with Jesus for 40 years and they still only give a dollar, are we still jumping up and down and happy? Right, right. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say no. Yeah, definitely not. You know, yeah. we have some serious questions. Now, maybe their financial situation has never changed. So we're like, great, wonderful. But what we realize is when we ask that question in the area of giving, what does a mature believer know and do, right? We know, for example, that they know that God owns it all. And it's, it's our blessing to give him as much as we can, you know, that we want to be generous givers, that we want to give where the right hand and the left hand doesn't know. So we, we want to see that continuous growth. But see, when was the last time that you had a matrix or someone presented you a matrix to, to measure the maturity of your disciples? That, that's, you that's huge, I think, because coming back to the Monday Christian, talk, talking to that person, the person yep. that's just listening on their drive to work, and they're saying, okay, I, I feel like I'm a disciple of Jesus, but the idea of discipling others, that's mm-hmm. intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. Where do they start? How does that look like? What does your model look like? Mm. Sure. Let's walk, let's walk us through that. Uh, new person's just coming to faith in Christ, and you mm-hmm. got this, maybe this other, other Christian that they kind of think, ah, you know, it's kind of the church's job to disciple them. Maybe it's the lead pastor's job. Um, right. Who am I to try to help them along? Sure. What do you do? Sure, that's great. And, 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 and I want to start by pushing back a little bit to a little bit of a higher level. One of the keys in making disciples, so this has to do with Matthew uh, 28, 18 to 20 again, right? To make disciples. Well, if, if let's say I'm your disciple. You have to disciple me, right? Well, in you discipling me, I also, because of that command, have to disciple someone else, right? So your job isn't done until, or your, the first round of your job isn't complete until you help me, you reach through me to disciple someone else, that's also validated in 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul says the things, he says to Timothy, the things which you have heard from me and trust to faithful people who can then teach others. And so there's this chain of discipleship on the, on the, on the upside of the chain, who's discipling me? On the downside of the chain, who am I discipling, right? So who is my Paul? 
using those terms that are there. Who is my Timothy, right? Who is my spiritual father? Who is my spiritual child? Okay. And so I want to bring it to that point because um, we want to make sure that everybody has somebody who's discipling them and then saying, who are they discipling? And how do they do that? They start with the basics again. You know, first is to, you know, let's say uh, you said Monday Christian, they're going to work is whom are the people that they're engaged with at work, right? And uh, oftentimes it's good for them to write their names down and write down specific things that they can be praying about for these people. You know, so so uh, Rachel's grandmother is sick. Let's make sure to pray for Rachel's grandmother's healing that God would be given glory, right? And then following up with Rachel, hey, how's grandma doing? <laughs> you know, um, and then and and then following up with that, but then. You know, and this is where uh, the coaching model, the discipleship model is so critical, where I meet with the people that I disciple every week. And I ask them, how are things? Do you think that's key every week? Absolutely. Especially for brand new believers. Think about this. Think of a baby. You have a brand new uh, baby born. What if I told that baby, hey, you know what? Mom and dad, we're really tired because she had to carry you for nine months, kiddo. Hey, we're expecting our first kid in three weeks. So this application works well. Yeah, so pay attention here, okay? So we told this brand new baby, we said, look, mom's really tired. The labor was terrible. You know, the milk's in the fridge. The bathroom's over there. Mom and dad, we're going on vacation for a week, and then we'll come back. Right? Would we really do that, Ezra? (laughs) Well, I'm just going to tell you what we're going to do, and I would say no. (laughs) That's right, but why wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah, that's, Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Why wouldn't we leave that child for a week? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's obviously, you know, they would, without that nurture, without that care, they're going to be in a world of trouble. Yeah. If they don't die of exposure, hunger, whatever, they will probably be handicapped the rest of their life. Right. Okay. Now, think of a, a new believer, Right. Just comes to faith. They're just like that baby where we have to set a very solid foundation. We need to nurture them. But so often in in typical discipleship, we may throw them a book. Here, you go read this. You go do this yourself. And then we don't show up for, you know, a week, two weeks, something like that. Whereas for a brand new baby, we're up all night. We're there, you know, we're in their life to really set the foundation, a strong foundation. And then over time, you know, it can move to just like as kids grow, right? You know, uh, um, growing to, to, to learn how to use the toilet and things like that and then becoming a functional adult. They don't need you as much every day, but they're still going to call, mom, dad, I got this problem, right? And so the same thing with discipleship. Yes, it's intense. Absolutely. It was meant to be intense, right? Um, the model that we have typically gathering all sorts of people into a room, that's not really discipleship. That's that's information um, output, yes. right? Discipleship is getting in their lives, figuring out what's wrong. How do we move them? So when I meet with these people, I, I, I listen to what's happening really carefully. Uh, but one of the things we also do is we set plans. So let's say, you know, um, um, Billy is going to work on Monday and, and his buddy, you know, wife is suffering from cancer. Okay, Now we set a plan, hey, what's a story from the Bible that you can share with your friend? You know, maybe it's out of Luke where Jesus calms the storm, 
right? Because that's how powerful he is. And and I don't need uh, Billy to get into a theological treatise. I just need him to share the story. So we might practice that story together on the phone or in person. Mm-hmm. So he gets comfortable with sharing, mm-hmm. right? And then, and, and then maybe a couple of key questions, you know, that are there. Hey, ask the question, what did you, we learn about Jesus? You know, what did it show about humanness, right? Yes, yes. And then, and then the key question, and this is an issue I have with a lot of uh, systems that are out there, is what is the step of obedience because of the story, right? Now, it could be a lot of different things. Jesus calming the storm could be, you know what? I'm just going to trust in what Jesus tells me to do, okay? That would be the step of obedience. Where we've gotten confused, and this is that whole information, knowledge thing that we, we, we talked about, is um, uh, in, 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 in some systems, they say, whom are you going to share this story with? Okay? And they believe that the sharing of the story is the step of obedience. It's not. Right? The step of obedience is what it, what the obedience towards what the story tells us. Now, sharing the story is good. Don't get me wrong. I want you to do that. But the actual obedience part is what will you do because of the story? Does that make sense, Ezra? That's, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. And this, I think this really hits home because I know you, you operate in, in models where you work heavily, I know with uh, with uh, house churches, small groups, especially overseas and in North America as well. But talk to the person that's listening right now, and they're in more of a traditional church model right now. That's that's their context. But their mode right now, if they were to be very honest, their mm-hmm. version of Christianity is they get to church maybe five ten minutes late. They mm-hmm. slip out as soon as the closing prayer is done. And this whole idea of discipling others, being discipled, that's very uncomfortable. What do you say to a person like that? That isn't just (laughs) (laughs) pushing them down, but it's actually really encouraging where the next steps that they can take from breaking out of that. Yeah, um, and and if that the desire is to break out, it is just to, um, I would say, find a Paul, find somebody who can disciple you. Okay. Because when we're not familiar with things, it's just like right before you know we got into this conversation, I knew you knew about podcasting, so I wanted to learn from you, right? So, so we want to learn from people who have gone before. So that would be you know one step. Find somebody uh, who will help you. Along with that is just to figure out something that you can do because God always blesses faith always blesses faith. And so it could be as simple as, um, you know, go look up on the internet, the story of the prodigal son. Okay. Read that over and over. Okay. And say, how, what is, how will you obey what you learn from the story of the prodigal son? Now go share that with someone and then ask them to obey something they learned from the prodigal son. You see, so yeah. just these real simple steps. Um, well, and that's, that, that's huge. That's huge right there you, um, with what you're saying, because a lot of times when I hear from people, um, I think I was just talking to someone the other day, I think it was my brother-in-law, we were talking about ministry in the church and how challenging it is that, that sometimes he's, he's a recruiter for a college and they, sometimes he would work with other recruiters and they would, um, but he said one of the things he realized to help 
people make adjustments to being a great recruiter as opposed to maybe being an average one was often not a very huge overhaul like maybe they thought they had to do, but was often just a couple simple tweaks that that were were, um, seemingly small but had huge impacts in their lives. And, And I think if I'm hearing you right, that's a little bit what you're saying here now is that it's not that we have to get all this ton of information and learn everything to know about the Bible, but it's putting those few things, those few acts of faith or, mm-hmm. that we've been learning about the Bible into action on people around us. Am I hearing you wrong? No, absolutely. You know, um, I, I much rather people know a little bit and do a lot with it mm. than to know a lot and do very little. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, and, and, that's where we are. We start with where people are, you know, and, and say, here, how do I help you move forward, right? How do I meet, help you move forward? Um, and, and the key is, you know, the key question is for people, you, myself, everybody else is, do I love Jesus? That's the motivator, right? The motivator isn't because Ezra says it. The motivator isn't because Ed says it. The motivator is because Jesus says it. And I love Jesus because he first loved me. And so, yes, I'm willing to go do something that otherwise I would be very resistant to do because I love Jesus. You you, you see how key that question is? Hunger. Uh, Yeah. uh, You know, and this leads me to a second question, I guess. And specifically for people who are more in ministry roles, who are active disciplers of other people. I almost uh, hesitate phrasing the question this way because, I, but for lack of a better phrase, how do you create the hunger within other people? I know that's something that we can't generate in ourselves, but there's moments in people's lives when I'm discipling them and I realize, okay, one more ounce of information is not going to help this person at all. But sometimes I just don't know how to to say to say anything, to react, to work with them, to model it away that will help them have more of that hunger. What have you found that that's been effective for, through Scripture or your own life? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question, and and this is where uh, <laughs> you may edit, you may want to edit this part out. Is, <laughs> is 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 first a reflection to those who are in ministry. Um, one. One thing that we say is, you know, we that how important the Bible is, right? That spending time with Jesus is important. But we don't spend any time with Jesus. We're too busy running around, you know, doing different things. You know, I, I, I disciple some pastors and I ask them, you know, how much time have you spent with Jesus and in Scripture? And they haven't spent any time <laughs> with Jesus and Scripture. So then where does the power of the Lord come in? Like, uh, just, have, so, with many of the pastors you disciple, how much? I'm not trying to be negative here, but how much time would they spend with God on a weekly basis? You think? Um, you know, as far as what we say, like devotional time versus yeah. preparing for a, a, a sermon, um, less than 15 minutes. Wow. You know, wow. because they're too busy. <laughs> that's that's the excuse, right? Is too busy. And I said, how can you be too busy for whom should be the love of your life, right? The love of your soul. Yeah. And and I had a, a, a an elder friend of mine, love him. The guy loves the Lord. He's he's an amazing man of God. He's been challenging me, and 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 I'm nowhere perfect on that. So please, you know, I am pointing the finger at myself too. And he said, he told me, he showed me, hey, I want to show you my notes. So he pulled out this thing where he's recording how many times he's read through the Bible. Yep. 
And he has read through the Bible. His goal was to read through the Bible for as many years as he's been alive. Okay, he came to faith when he was 23. This year he'll turn 67. This year he will have read through the Bible 67 times. Okay, so this I'm guessing the average believer doesn't do this. <laughs> I, not even the average pastor. Okay, let's not even worry about the the average believer. And and he really got me thinking because he's been over the last several years just to catch up, right? He's been reading through the Bible four to six times a year. Okay. Wow. And he he's not talking about devotional time because he's talking about reading it as a novel. And reading it as a novel can is also very good because you get this higher level look. How does everything tie together, right? So I started doing some research, Ezra, because I'm like, there's just no way that thing is like this thick, right, and all that. Well, the Bible contains about eight hundred thousand words. The average American, and this is probably North America, so uh, Canadians also, can read between 250 to 300 words a minute, okay? That means that in 54 hours, you can read through the entire Bible. 54 hours. So let's give it 60 hours. That means reading one hour a day, you can read through the Bible in two months. Let's say you're busy. 30 minutes a day, you can do it in four months, right? Say you're really busy, 15 minutes a day, you can do it in eight months, right? But how many actually have done that? And yet we say as evangelicals, the evangelicals would say the Bible is central to our faith, but we quote more books about the Bible than the Bible itself. We quote more from our favorite theologian, author, whatever, than we do Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Yep, yep. You see, yep. so so that's where I'd say we, we have to start from us. We have to look at us, you know, those who would be called ministers, professionals, whatever. If we're not spending time with Jesus, if we're not loving on Jesus, if we're not obeying Jesus, then how can we expect the people whom we're ministering to to do that which we ourselves are not? Does that make sense? So I, I'm, I'm thinking that I should just cut the last seven minutes of this out here, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, we can leave it free of conviction. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's – that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working right now with an organization called Strategic Renewal, and yep. they're all uh, – just on a coaching call with them earlier this afternoon. Um, they're all about helping pastors get into the Word. So they're, it's part of the 6-4 fellowship um, where they're from Acts 6-4 about getting in the Word of God and in prayer. And it's been shocking – but also convicting to me to see that how many times, uh, um, how, how, number one, how few of pastors, ministry leaders, are actually actively in the Word of God. But then it's been convicting my heart to say, okay, man, I want to go deeper. Like, because mm-hmm. right, I so connect with what you're saying right now, because you can't lead, you can't minister to others out of a heart that's empty. That's correct. Now, the other thing, and, and this is something you also may want to edit out, is um, there's a concept that I like to use because, for instance, we can't convert anybody, right? Only the Lord can bring conversion. We can share. And so our job is to test for ripeness. Just like P- 
picking fruit, right? If they're, if the harvest is plentiful, John 4.35 says, right, the harvest is white, it's ready, it's plentiful. When we go to an apple harvest, for example, we don't just start picking apples, right? We go and we test the apple for ripeness. Is it ripe? Is it just a little bit firm? And then we pick it if it's firm. If it's not firm, do we stand there and stare at that unripe apple? You know, right. we wouldn't do that. Right. If I started staring at it and you came over to me and you said, hey, Ed, what are you doing? Oh, Ezra, I'm staring at that apple. It's not ripe, but I'm going to stare at it. You're going to say, Ed, you're a complete idiot. They're ripe apples everywhere else. And you and, and so but we do that all the time is there are people in our churches, you know, in our ministries. They're not ripe. But we spend all the time with them thinking that's the loving thing to do. But what about all the other people who are ripe that are ready to move forward? What about the love for them, right? You know, some people need to percolate. You know, uh, you've heard the saying, you don't know what you've lost until it's gone. Sometimes that's what they need. They need to know, you know what? I need to go love on some other people, and I'll check up on you in a couple of months. And that could be what they need. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm ready to move, you know, those types of things. But we spend way too much time with people that are unripe. And I actually have a pastor, friend of mine. By the way, if you're taking notes, uh that's a good time to highlight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, I was uh, helping a a pastor who was really into pastoral ministry. He never wanted to leave anybody. And then I shared the same story with him. And he was like, wow, that's really interesting. And, And he said, Okay, I'm, I'm going to implement it. I'm going to actually spend time, more time with people that are ready to move, people that are right, people that are willing to obey Jesus, right? They learned this and they're willing to implement, and it exploded because these guys were on fire, but they were just sitting by the sidelines because he couldn't give them their time because he was spending all their time with these unripe people. And we have to realize something really important is if we – is that we are really in the war and we have an enemy who's, who's fighting the war. And, and you know, my, in my opinion, the devil's ploy is very easy. He has three things he wants to do. Before you know Jesus, kill you. After you know Jesus, kill you. If he can't kill you, make you ineffective, right? What's a great way to make you ineffective? Spending time with unripe people. Instead of with right people that are ready to move forward, ready to do battle, ready to love and obey Jesus. And this pastor saw it, and these people that he spent time with, they went crazy. They evangelized. They were bold. They brought people left and right to Jesus. These other guys that were unripe, they were still unripe. They were just sitting there doing nothing. And he just said, you know what? I'm going to go visit them once in a while. I'm going to do some things with them once in a while. But I need to focus on the harvest because if the har- if we really believe the harvest is white, the harvest is ready, how fast do we want to go? Yeah. that's. This connects. Uh, yesterday I was reading um, – I'm taking my master, some master's courses right now, and I was reading. And one of the authors, I can't remember who it was, but they were writing, and they said as pastors – Sometimes we tend to spend most of our time with people who are either just nice or nice, which I like being around mm-hmm. nice people, but yep. then people who are needy. And yep. we tend to avoid sometimes the people that are ready, uh, um, have, they're, they're ready to put faith into action for yep. maybe we're intimidated by them. Uh, yep. Maybe they're quieter. They're, they don't 
talk a whole lot because they're out doing things. Um, right. But we tend to pull back. And man, that hit me. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's, I want to be spending time wisely because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, we're stewards, aren't we? Yep, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 we'll be held accountable for that, right? Um, so so that's part of of you know with these seven general commands, we now know what to obey. It gives us a grid to measure the maturity of any individual or church um, to say how are you doing in repentance, you know, baptism, Lord's supper, blah 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 blah. We can keep pushing down, and we have this grid of maturation that we can use, and then everybody we disciple falls into that grid. Hey, you know, you need to have, you haven't been baptized yet? Well, hey, that needs to be taken care of. If you haven't had Lord's Supper, let me show you how we do it. You know, let's do it together, you know. Uh, let me give you this story. Uh, let's practice this story so you can go share with somebody, right? You know, I mean, it, it's really... Uh, how do I say? Again, that that conversation about so much knowledge versus obedience. So a lot of systems, and even in the the traditional system, is if people have the knowledge, we assume they are believers. That's a very scary place to be. Okay, if there's no obedience, and so what do we end up doing? You know, even if we tell them go share the story, we haven't called them to obedience to the story. The next week, did you share the story? Yes. Great, awesome! You shared the story. We move on to the next story, or you know, on a on a Sunday where we 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 give a sermon. Well, first, usually we don't call people to obedience to what the sermon was about. Even worse, and it happens also within the house church. So I'm not just saying traditional church, but both sides. Is the next week when the people come back, did we actually ask them, "Did you obey what you learned from last week?" And if the answer is no, why are we moving on to another lesson? <laughs> Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's too practical. <laughs> yeah, it, it's way too practical, you know? <laughs> it's also scary. It's also really scary for us who are in ministry. Because what if people don't obey? What if they don't want to listen to us? What do we do? That could affect, I mean, think of a pastor who has a congregation. That could affect the amount of money he has for salary. Yep. Or the missionary that could affect his support, right? And so there are these underlying things that the devil whispers in our ear, these underlying things that we are trying to protect instead of saying, you know what? Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, oh, uh, one of our famous folks that said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and only love Jesus or something, and I will turn the world upside down. Yes, I remember that. Jesus – yeah, Jesus turned the world upside down with 12. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? That's... He didn't worry about the rest. Well, and what's amazing, Ed, I want you to share some specific stories here in a second. Sure. But I think one of the things that's amazing about what you're talking about is whether people are in – take the business world, for instance. They get what you're saying. I, yep. I don't know how many organizations that I've heard exactly what you're saying make total sense, whether it's – Take, I don't want to make this sound as though what we're talking about is just a business. But what, what you know, when I listen to whether it's salespeople, for instance, talk, mm-hmm. they totally understand this whole concept of mentoring. Why? Because if they don't, the whole system falls apart, right? But all, the, sure. all of a sudden, when it comes to Christianity, we get this vagueness of what a disciple really is. And so yep. we have this vague ambiguity. You know, it just, it just, and there's all this fuzziness around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What? And that's a, that's a great point. I'm sorry for interjecting here, is that fuzziness. And I, I always tell the people I coach disciple is we need to have clarity of 
definitions and understandings. So define very clearly what does a dis- what 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 does it mean to be a disciple? Define very clearly what does it mean to be a church in very practical ways. I mean, there's so many esoteric theological things that anything could be church, anything could be disciple, right? Whereas clarity of scripture is always love and obedience has to be there, right? So, so gaining that clarity by having it written down. Yeah. And another, you know, just highlighting all the things that you said here, another one I think is is – really hitting home. And one of the reasons your talk before impact me, impacted me several years ago in Cincinnati was that you didn't just talk about discipling other people. Your whole emphasis, and I don't, not, don't want to put words in your mouth here, but is that you haven't really, in a sense, you haven't really discipled someone until they're discipling another person. That That's is right. this, this continuing effect. And I That's just want right. you to share, what are some examples both in yeah. North America and around the world. Give us two or three. I love stories, and I'm guessing other people sure. in the audience are like me. Sure. Well, let me first give you the, the biblical story, right? So Exodus 18, if you read Exodus 18, it was Jethro to Moses. And essentially Jethro uh, told Moses, appoint leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They'll deal with the issues, and the issues go up and down that what we call chain of command. Right. Then we had Paul telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 2, the things which you have heard from me and trust to faithful people who can then train others. So if we want to give names, you had Paul, then Timothy, then Empaphras, then Nympha. So it was a chain that continues to go on. Um, for me, for instance, in India, uh, there's, there's myself. Then I poured into Prince, who was the main leader. Then he poured into Salim, and then Salim poured into and, – and it's that's just one chain, right? So Prince – it was me, then Prince, uh, Prince to Salim, Prince to uh, Debdas, Prince to other people, right? Three or four other people, like Jesus had his 12. Then it was Salim to you know three or four other people, and it was this whole chain that allowed them to move in much greater power. It's also the, 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 the issue for this chain of command is a military chain of command, okay? Remember we talked about whether we are in a wartime or a peacetime, right? Well, wartime, we talk about wartime. Well, there's the difference between war and what's the opposite of war, peace, right? And we know at the end times, the devil will whisper, peace, peace, Right? And so many churches, organizations, missionaries, pastors, they work on a peacetime mentality. And I can tell based off of their structure whether they're operating on a peacetime strategy or a wartime strategy. A wartime strategy is Exodus 18, 2 Timothy 2.2, chains of command. Peacetime strategy is prior to Jethro. And prior to Jethro, we're told in Exodus 18, Moses sat there and everybody was around Moses, Right? So you can imagine how many pastors, how many churches, right? Everything revolves around the senior pastor. And when the senior pastor, what happens to the church? It falls apart. They can only barely maintain until a new senior pastor comes in. And there is no military in the world, right, that ever works that way. It's always a chain of command because that's how we fight wars. And so uh, that's there. Uh, that's a great in, illustration. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Yeah. Uh, the same thing is happening, you know, in, in Romania. You know, I sit here, I coach a guy there um, over the internet once a week. He goes out and he reaches this one other guy. Um, his name is, um, I'll just call him Jay to protect the guy's name. But the guy turns out to be an amazing evangelist, discipler guy. He's actually native Romanian. He now coaches others. <laughs> You know, to do wow. the same thing, and so we're multiplying efforts. Okay, um, and 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 just to be really honest here, I am not familiar with uh, the USA so much because my efforts are primarily international, but the concepts are still there. Well, and we one have- of the reasons I had you on was because Toronto is one of the most cultural. It's the, as I understand, the most culturally diverse city in the world, and so a lot of the things that you're talking about apply directly to the people that are going to be listening yep. to this. That's right. Yeah, and and most of the people around the world, whether they be from the African continent, whether they be from Asia, Central Asia, Eastern Europe, they're much more communal culturally than North America and Western Europe. Right, so it's the difference between individualism and communalism, and all this stuff speaks to them because they and their families have that chain of command. I mean, for Chinese, it's crazy. You know, I call my aunts, uh, you know, first aunt, second aunt, third uh, third aunt, right? Because you don't mess up the chain of command there. That that. Uh, authority structure here right. in the U.S. Everybody's aunt, right? You know, there's there's, <laughs> there's no nothing there, and and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that um, when we try to push what we know from North America and have it implemented around the world, that has caused problems to no end, right? Um, the structure here in the U.S. I do believe is different, and in North America, for uh, let me say Caucasians, all right. Uh, is because that family structure doesn't exist in the same way. It exists in the friendship structure because even in groups of friends, there are natural leaders because that's the order that God has brought forth, right? That is just what's there. And so instead of extracting, what we're doing oftentimes is we extract somebody from their group of friends and family you know, cohorts and we stick them into our church, and really have destroyed their relationship with those people whom they were most close, those whom they could harvest, right? Because that's their harvest field, you know? Because we want to make um, them safe, or so yeah, we say. Yeah, we want to make them safe. Yeah. And, and what we've done is we've actually destroyed their capacity to actually be a reconciler of man to God. That's powerful. Um, and, and I use an example, you know, I like to eat burritos. And so let's imagine down this dark, dank alley in downtown Toronto, there's this amazing burrito shop, right? It's just so good. You think you eat it, you think you've gone to heaven, but it's in this dark, dark alley. And I come running out and you're the first person I see, but you don't know me at all. You don't know me from Adam, as we would say sometimes. And I come in to you and I'm like, dude, you got to go down that dark, dank alley and eat that burrito. Are you going to go down the dark, dank alley? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, why not? Yeah, well, it's because uh, it's pretty unfamiliar for one thing. Yeah, and you don't know me. Maybe I'm setting you up to get attacked when you go down the dark, dank alley, right? Which in my but, area would be very possible because we got a burrito place, and uh, when I eat there, sometimes <laughs> I feel like I've gone to the other place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so see? Hot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but see, the burritos really are good. Let's change the scenario again. Same dark, dank alley, same burrito, but you're my brother. 
Yeah. And I come running out and say, Ezra, man, you got to eat that burrito down that dark, dank alley. Are you going to eat the burrito? That's a good point. Right? Yeah. You're going to eat, right? Yep. You see, same burrito. The issue was not the burrito. The issue was the messenger. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Jesus is good. He is really, really good, better than any burrito. But who's bringing the message? And when we extract this person out of his relational context, right, we just destroyed the capacity of him as being the messenger because his people know him. Wow. Wow. That's that's very powerful. We could spend a lot of time there. We're about out of time here. We're just, just right. wrapping things up here. Um, give a quick word, about a minute here. Give a quick okay. word to someone who they're listening to this. And again, they're a Monday Christian and maybe their head's swimming right now. And they're saying, okay, yep. there's all this stuff. And by the way, we'll link to those seven, seven points that you talked about earlier. Okay. We'll link to those in the show notes. So people don't have to feverishly go back and look at that. They can just look at that right in the show notes, but talk to that person right now. What can that person who's maybe never discipled someone else before in their mm-hmm. life, and they're pretty intimidated by that, what can they do today to start making a difference? Great. Um, that's a great question. I would say a couple of things. First is to ask yourself the question, do you really love Jesus? And I believe if you're listening to this, that answer is yes. I then hope commit so. your, Yeah. Commit yourself to saying, Jesus, because I love you, I want to obey you. And then ask him, what is one thing that I can start obeying you today? One of those seven general commands or even another command you know of. And just just determine today you will obey that. Okay? And, and what I know, my confidence uh, to you, Christian, is that Jesus will give you something to obey because he loves obedience and he blesses obedience. So just start that step. And then tomorrow, ask the same question. I love you, Jesus. I want to obey you. What do I obey today? And go out in faith and do it. And don't worry if you mess it up or whatever. Jesus is going to honor your faith. That's what I'd say. Ed, it's been an awesome privilege to have you on. Where can people maybe find you or find some resources that you would recommend online? Yeah, if they would go to two websites, one would be peopleofyes.com, so peopleofyes.com. The other one is paultimothy.net, so paul-timothy.net. Uh, actually studies there, all sorts of things you can download for free. It's all available. Um, you can also contact us through those sites. Okay, and again, we'll link to those in the show notes as well, so you can get those links right there. Ed, thank you once again. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Well, there you have it. As I mentioned in the interview, right now as we're recording this, um, I'm going through a series at our church called The Journey. We're actually, I'm teaching it jointly with our mother church in Virginia, Eastlake Community Church, with the pastor, Pastor Troy Keaton. And one of the emphasis that we're trying to convey as we go through this series is that discipleship is not just about information, but it's about transformation. And I think as Christians, we can often be guilty of that, right? Where we have so much information at our fingertips, but we're not making a difference with others around us. And so I hope this podcast has really challenged you to do something more with what you've been given. So until next time, my name is Ezra Beyer. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.
You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program and other resources that can help you grow stronger in your walk with God, simply visit our website, mondaychristian.com. That's mondaychristian.com. 